When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Thelman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, over the years here at Tannen, we've presented some of the work that we feel has pushed our hobby experience forward and challenged our skills and questioned the status quo. Uh, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about a few of those ideas that we've played with. Many of you who followed us for years have seen and heard us talk about these things. And, seeing the pictures and the tanks and so forth, but it's fun to kind of put it together in a little bit of a summary here. And I thought about it. These are some ideas that you can, you know, boldly run with and continue the work that we started trying to take this stuff to new levels and maybe unlock some new secrets that um, need to be discovered. So in no particular order, here's some ideas I think would be really cool if some of you guys would play with them on a, on a bigger scale. Let's start with leaf litter only, or what I like to call LLO <laughs> aquariums. So the things to explore in leaf litter only aquariums would be supplemental primary food production, denitrification, nutrient export, pH management, fish behavior and spawning, and rearing of fry. Now, the idea here is really not all that complex. In fact, this approach is probably one of the easiest kinds of specialized tanks that you can create. You set up your aquarium with little to no substrate, if you're going to use substrate, we're talking about a half an inch or, uh, or that's about 1.27 centimeters of sand and add a layer of your favorite leaves or leaf litter on top. We're talking anywhere from, you know, one inch to two and a half centimeters to six inches, which is about 15 centimeters or so deep. And that's it. Nothing else. Just leaf litter. Oh, sure. You could toss a piece of wood in there if you need some vertical relief for your aesthetic sensibilities. It's not mandatory, of course. It's purely an aesthetic thing, or perhaps it's something you might want if you're into keeping sort of skittish fishes. Maybe you're trying to keep butterfly fishes or uh, fishes which are known to jump, or maybe you're keeping splash tetras or something that needs some overhanging branches or whatever. So anyway, the main idea though is to make the leaf litter the whole scape, the entire habitat within the aquarium. It's better, better for me to call it habitat. I, I gotta get away from explaining these things in the aquascaping realm, because as we've talked about before, and I had a rather long and detailed conversation with uh, our creative director, Johnny Ciotti, about this a couple of days ago. We're trying to get away from this whole bit about botanical style as a style of aquarium. It's a methodology. It's an approach. It's a way of looking at things. It's aesthetic secondary, function first. So different type of thing. Anyway, uh, the main idea is to make the leaf litter bed the entire habitat within the aquarium. In fact, it's less about that look than the execution of a concept that can perhaps teach us a few things. By doing this, you're creating an aquarium which mimics the appearance and more important, much of the function of natural leaf litter habitats. So some extra credit here, try to pre-stock in your tank with organisms like Paramecium, Cyclops, Gammarus, Daphnia, and maybe even some worms. Uh, get some food organisms in there, really start that cycle. A lot to learn in that system. Of course, the other idea that I'd love to see people playing with, and we're starting to see more, which is really exciting, is the urban agapo, the uh, agapo or varzea simulations. 
Uh, things to explore in this little area are the seasonal wet-dry cycles and their influences on fishes, the relationship between terrestrial and aquatic habitats, substrate composition, marginal plant growth and grass growth, and food production, of course. This is an amazing habitat, and its seasonal inundation cycle has been just begging to be replicated in the aquarium for decades. In 2018, I finally decided, I'm going to go for it, i got to do this. I, you know, in many regions of like Amazonia, for example, the water levels in the rivers, they rise significantly during the rainy season, often several meters. And the once dry forest floor fills with water from the torrential rain and overflowing rivers and streams. The agapos are formed. They're flooded forest floors. We've talked about this so many times here, you're probably sick of hearing about this, but it's cool because the formerly terrestrial habitat is transformed in this earthy, twisted, incredibly rich aquatic habitat, which fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize for food protection and spawning areas. To replicate this process in the aquarium is not really difficult. It superficially, in fact, mimics some of the aspects of that dry start method that aquatic plant enthusiasts play with, except our goal isn't to start plants for a traditional aquarium. It's to replicate, on some levels, the year-round dynamic of the Amazonian uh, forests. It starts with a substrate which replicates the composition of the agapo and barzea soils of this region. And yes, we offer them for sale, or you can do some research and try to figure out how to do it yourself, but it's a lot easier to get it from us, just saying. Then you add some seed from terrestrial grasses or even plants to start the cycle. And after a few weeks, they start growing. And then when you're when you're set up, you know, the way you like the grass is growing, you can bring on the inundation, just add some water. Eventually you'll inundate this to the point where everything's submerged. And of course you can add fishes too during this period of time. I've experimented with small kerosens and annual South American killifishes. In fact, the concept lends itself very well to killies. When you're ready to bring on the dry season again, you simply remove the water gradually. This replicates the desiccation which occurs as the rainy season fades. It's once again a terrestrial habitat. In fact, in one of my Varzea simulations, I'm on my third generation of fishes derived from this wet-dry cycle. Yes, of course, for all of you that wonder, I remove the adults when I start desiccating the tank. Come on, I'm not heartless, right? <laughs> now, I'm personally going to scale up this idea to a larger tank, like a 15-gallon tank soon. Um, a lot to learn here, but I think the, the, what I've learned in managing smaller tanks in this method is essentially going to stay with me for the bigger tanks. It's to just keep it going. You have to be really patient, accept some unusual aesthetics, and be willing to do things way differently than you have in the past. And then another idea is alternative substrate systems. It's something that we've talked about again very recently. Things to explore in that area are impact on the pH, fostering biofilms and fungal growths, uh, supplemental grazing areas for fishes, spawning sites for cichlids and some kerosens, nursery areas for fry, nutrient export processes, and it goes on and on. A lot to learn. It's another really easy idea to play with. The idea of using alternative materials like twigs and botanicals for substrate is just irresistible to me. There is something interesting about foregoing the typical sand or gravel substrates in favor of materials which can perform multiple functions in the aquarium, much like they do in nature. The idea here is that the substrate becomes a dynamic part of the aquatic ecosystem. Over time, this stuff breaks down and becomes the perfect microhabitat for beneficial organisms like crustaceans, fungal growth, worms, etc. In other words, in a strictly aesthetic sense, the bottom itself becomes part of the aesthetic focus of the aquarium with the botanicals placed upon the substrate or in some cases becoming the substrate. These materials form an attractive texturally varied microscape of their own, creating color, interest, and functions that we're just starting to appreciate. 
and the botanical materials in the substrate act to a certain extent as fuel for the micro and macro fauna which reside in the aquarium and they perform this function as long as they're present in the system interested yet it's kind of cool now for extra credit uh, and that's another one to try pre-stocking with various microorganism cultures. It'd be a neat one to attempt spawning of egg scattering fishes in, for example, even danios and other fishes like that. That matrix of material provides a built-in first, you know, you know, first food source for fry. That'd be interesting, right? They hatch out, protected from the parents eating them. Think of egg scatterers, right? The fry hatch and they have a food source. Kind of cool. Next, of course, is the botanical style brackish aquarium. Things to explore in this area would be utilization of rich substrate materials, decomposing leaf litter, live mangroves, simulation of you know, aquatic food webs, and of course, alternative aesthetics. Our focus is on trying to replicate and understand the complex web of life that occurs in brackish water habitats. And as we started to evolve the practice and appreciation of this unique niche, just like we've done all with, you know, all done with black water, uh, there's more to learn. In fact, the approach that we take to brackish is unlike what's previously been taken before, but one that's incredibly familiar to you as a tint and tank enthusiast. This is the kind of thing that we do. And of course, there are a few components which, in our opinion, power the brackish water botanical style system. Mud, leaf litter, and mangroves. A more realistic and functional representation of this ecological niche. And once again, it starts with substrate, a richer, muddier, more sedimented material, one which fosters microbial life and decomposition of botanical materials. The idea being to develop a food web which can provide supplemental nutrition for the fishes, one which will foster strong growth of mangroves, encouraging rather than discouraging leaf litter accumulation and its resulting detritus is something that we feel sets it apart from this approach, from that sterile gray white sand and rock approach, which has been proffered for decades, as in, not your father's brackish water aquarium. It's not about limestone rocks, quartz sand, and pieces of coral skeleton. Rather, we use a combination of fine sands, muds, leaf litter, and other materials to create a rich, dark sediment-filled substrate, possibly creating a higher nutrient condition than you would typically be associated with a brackish tank, yet far closer in step with the rich estuary habitats that we're interested in replicating. Yeah, leaf litter. We all know about that, don't we? And of course, the water will take on a tinted look in many cases because of the leaves and the mangrove bark which accumulate within the aquarium. The aesthetics are a radical departure from the conventional brackish tank, but the goal is too. In this case, it's to foster a more dynamic ecosystem to explore the unique relationship between substrate, plants, and water. Applying the lessons we've learned in the freshwater botanical style aquarium and using them in a different milieu is very exciting and perhaps even a bit challenging. It requires mental shifts to embrace decomposition, detritus, etc. It requires some of us to learn new skills if we've never worked with salt before. All these things which can help us create a radically different type of brackish water aquarium than we have in the past, and all these things can help us learn some new things that maybe we haven't played with before. Extra credit here? Creating tidal shifts via pumps and solenoids, maybe growing intertidal, salt-tolerant, marginal plants, culturing shrimp and other crustaceans within the leaf litter bed, varying the specific gravity over time to full-strength marine water, growing seagrasses in marine water versions. So that's a few of the cool areas that we as a community can work with, a few of the challenges we can take on. There are many, many more, of course. These are just a few. There's so much interesting stuff out there to study and replicate in our aquariums, not just to diorama it up to win a biotope contest, no, 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 but to replicate the form and function of these unique habitats. I say this over and over and over again because it's a completely different mindset. I think we need to spend as much more time trying to really get our hands around why natural habitats are the way they are, to understand why they form, 
how they operate, and what set of unique characteristics they possess, which makes them home to our fishes. Trying these alternative approaches and ideas, taking on the challenges, will only serve to advance our skills, benefit the hobby at large, and help us as a community stay at the bleeding edge of the aquarium practice for years to come. What challenges are you going to take on in 2021? Until next time, stay brave, stay creative, stay curious, stay motivated, and always stay wet. This is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.